Hey there. Thanks for joining me on Comedy Masterclass, where I interview creators about the craft of writing comedy. Today I have with me Chris Head, who is a comedy director, mentor, and coach. And Chris was the very first person that I interviewed for Comedy Masterclass right back in March of 2023. And I've heard from lots of you how useful you found the episode, the frameworks that Chris shared with regards to creating narrative comedy. And in that episode, Chris actually mentioned one of his most popular blog posts, which is around structuring your 30-minute comedy or comedy drama script. So of course, I went and read it, incredibly useful. I read it multiple times and Chris has very generously agreed to come back today so that we can unpack it a little bit and talk more things comedy. Uh, but before we dive in, Chris, that was about six months ago now, if my maths is correct. Is there anything else we should know uh, about what you've been up to with your work since then? Uh, well, it's it's all the same, all the same stuff. Um, yeah, I've been, been mentoring Yeah, tell us, writers. in case people didn't hear episode one. Oh, okay. For those who didn't hear... And apologies if you did hear, but here it goes again. But I've been uh, been mentoring writers, work, working on working on scripts. Uh, I'm directing uh, an Edinburgh show. Uh, you might think, gosh, that's very early, isn't Edinburgh August next year? But of course, it's all it's all starting now. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that. Um, yeah, running my comedy courses and. I, I could go on, but it's um, whenever anyone asks me what I'm doing, it's kind of always that. So they could um, just replay that, and then that's probably what I'm doing next year, two years time. So it's yeah, I love it though. Yeah. It means you're a total expert at that, and great though to mm. think that uh, in in the cold, uh, wintry November in the UK, you're already thinking about Edinburgh next yes. summer. That's how it goes. Yeah. Exciting though, wonderful. So. This blog post, I found it really useful. Being the structure geek that I am, printed it out, put it in my notebook, underlined it, read it again. Um, one of the shows that you'd mentioned in it, Hacks Already Watch, absolutely loved. One of the shows that you mentioned in it, Mo, I hadn't seen, so went and watched. Brilliant show. Um, also found it quite heartbreaking too. Made tons mm. of notes, so I found it really useful. But for writers uh, who may hear the word structure, and cringe just a little bit or feel like, oh no, um, why Why do you think you would encourage them to really engage with thinking about it? Or a different way of coming at it, if it's easier, is what prompted you to write this post in the beginning where you thought, oh gosh, these writers really need help for this reason? I demystifying, really. Um, a lot of writers, particularly newer writers, are a bit scared of this. I remember doing a one-to-one mentoring session with a writer who was developing a script with a production company and said I know I've got to get to grips with structure but I don't really know how to do that and I'm a bit embarrassed to ask so you know could mm. could, could we look at it and it's it's not rocket science as they say and the other thing about it is that this structure that you can identify in a half hour sitcom slash comedy drama you'd be very hard pressed to find a show that that doesn't do it really you can pick any any show in this style and look for these beats in the story and you you'll find them so rather than being the the outlier who's writing a script where you're not not following this shape you might as well do it but then you do it in your own brilliant way and with with your characters and you bring something fresh to it and before we um, say a bit more about what it is, 
Uh, the analogy that I often like to use is with a pop song. So if you're going to write a pop song, then, well, we know there's a structure, you know, there's an intro, there's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, um, there's some kind of middle eight, whatever that is, um, you know, key change, probably outro, <clears throat> you know, it's got that shape. And if you're going to write a pop song, you you do that. And of course, you do it in your own way, and you bring something fresh to it. And the listeners who are enjoying it don't really think about the shape of it. They just go, brilliant pop song. But if you're going to write a piece of music, and you know, probably about three minutes, roughly, but if you're going to write a piece of music that's half an hour and has no discernible verse chorus structure, might be brilliant, but it's not a pop song. So, you know, it's the same with these half hour shows. There's a there's a structure. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I like that analogy as well. Um, makes total sense. And so I wondered if you wouldn't mind, I mean, if you've got a, a different way in, no problem. But if not, just introducing us to some of the key sort of terms in the blog post, because I find language really, really helpful or terms really helpful for helping me like organize my brain. And I thought the terms that you've like are using and have created in this blog post are very helpful for doing that. So I wouldn't mind if you wouldn't mind sort of sharing what some of those are. So we've got some ways in. Yeah, sure. And, you know, certainly my thinking here is, you know, also it's obviously based on my own study and my own own observation, but also, you know, reading and learning from other people. So I wouldn't kind of sort of claim total total credit in in that way. Um, But, okay, so what what I'd like to do is it's great to have the blog post as a reference because people can, can read it. Um, and also, I, what I would like to do later on in this is I would like to um, figure out an episode of a completely brand new show with you um, within, oh, the, uh, I love within it. the podcast. Yeah. So, and Great, then we can it. can work to these these beats and figure out the story. Um, so, essentially, fun. when you're uh, working on a script. Um, a helpful way of looking at it is is three times three. So you've got um, three acts to your story, which is just beginning, middle, and end, um, really. It's just a fancy way of saying that. Um, there are three big beats across the story, which we're going to talk about. And very often there are also three storylines. Now, the, the first two, they're fundamental. You're going to do that the three three acts three beats but the the three storylines is sort of optional really you might have two you you might have four it'll be unusual just to have one but it's sort of not impossible but kind of three is a is a sweet spot at least as a starting mm. point and it's very very common now um just to say something about this word beats so a lot of people say oh the beats of a story uh, that just means when something changes, or more simply, you know, when something happens that that moves moves the story on. So there's going to be a lot of beats within a story, but what we're talking about here is kind of the the sort of top level, the higher view of it, of the three main beats that that shape your story. And so this will be your half hour. TV script could be your half-hour radio script, but it could be a comedy, a comedy play. You know, it could be could be a movie. So we're talking about three acts, 
you know, you can look at things four acts, five acts. So there are other ways of slicing it, particularly when you get to a longer narrative. But th this will apply, you know, and can apply and be useful, like within a comic novel, for example, as well. But let's um, well, let's just think about what these three big beats of the story are. So the first one is uh, the turning point. So <clears throat> for your main character, your protagonist something changes that changes everything for them now it might be really fundamental that life is never going to be the same again or it might just be this day is going in a different direction but something now changes and that sets them off down a different a different path in movies people often talk about the the inciting incident which can be another way of of looking at it but that's your first thing and that's going to happen quite early in your script what changes for your character then that sends them off on a particular direction that they didn't expect to go in then halfway through the script you encounter uh, the midpoint now you might mm. go well surprise surprise the middle of the script is the, the midpoints that sounds sort of quite obvious but but it it does a job and the midpoint is upping the ante heightening the stakes of your narrative pretty much bang on halfway through and once you know this it's kind of remarkable that if you pick a show that's 22 minutes long and think what's happening around about 11 minutes or if you pick a show that's 28 minutes long you go, what's what's happening around 14 minutes you go ah oh my god you know the they're really upping the ante, raising the stakes at this moment. So that's the second of our two big beats across the narrative. And then the third one is what I call the crunch point. I've also heard it called the, the worst point. Self-explanatory, really. The, um, the character has now been taken to a very challenging, decisive moment. And so you're looking for those to hit those three big beats across the script. Now, the midpoint is always in the middle, but the turning point can be sooner or later. Uh, so in the blog post, one of the shows I write about is Alma's Not Normal, and she has an aspiration to be an actress, and she's had an audition, she's very excited, she's had to go to the job centre because she's on Job Seekers Allowance, and she discovers that in order to stay on Job Seekers Allowance, which she really needs to do, um, she has to express an interest in a job she's not remotely interested in, at a Subway-type sandwich bar. And so that's the turning point for her, and that is about, in the script, I'm trying to think now, it's maybe four pages in. It, <clears throat> so your turning point could be three pages in, four pages in, five so we're thinking here that your half-hour script's going to be 30 pages. So in uh, Catastrophe, it's an interesting example. The, the script is 30 pages when you look at it. Incidentally, some, reading scripts is obviously a very inspiring, informative, important thing to be doing um, as a writer. And sometimes you might get a script and you go, well, this is a half-hour script, but it's 37 pages, so that I'm going to write 37 pages. But... Everyone works by the rule of thumb 
one page equals one minute. So, which is very, very, very rough and not one hundred percent accurate. But, but that's people's starting point. So, when you're submitting a spec script to a producer or a competition, if it's half an hour, just go for thirty pages. And it's very classy if you've done it in that exact thirty pages. But maybe it's thirty-one, maybe it's thirty-two. Um, but thinking about catastrophe, which as it happens, the first, so we're, these are both the f- first episode of the first series that we're talking about. Um, the uh, turning point comes nine pages in, which is quite a long way in for a thirty-minute script. But it's a good example because it's one that needs more time. And in that story, um, with Sharon Horgan and Rob Delaney, their characters, Sharon and Rob, um, Rob is in London on business and they have a, a fling, you know, and, uh, and a, a wild affair that they know is only going to last for as long as he's in London and they, they might never see each other again. And so that happens. He goes back to the States. Sharon discovers she's pregnant, tells him, he says, oh, my God, but, okay, we're basically strangers, but I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to move to London, move in with you, and we're going to be mother and father to this child. That's a lot to set up. And for a turning point, this is this is enormous. So, you know, the Alma's not normal turning point is Alma having to be more realistic about what her career might be, which is a big psychological turning point but she's still holding on to hope. Um, but this is, everything is now now different. And the the Alma one, you can see, if I can, well, we can share links to both these scripts. You can find out. But one's relatively early, one needs more time. But if you think your turning point between three and seven pages, roughly, but I mean, these things are never set in stone, but, and it's act one. So uh, the turning point, happens at the end of Act 1. Sometimes the turning point is a little earlier in Act 1, and there's some kind of other ratcheting up of the stakes at the end of Act 1, but it's very common for the turning point to also be end of Act 1. Um, then uh, what you do is you, you're you working towards the midpoint, and in Alma's Not Normal, she's been holding out for this acting job exactly halfway through she discovers that she's not got it. And so now, you know, things have got appreciably worse. And uh, by the end of Act Two, which is where your crunch point is, she um, has decided to go have a night out. And she's also split up with her boyfriend who's carried on with his life. And they end up sleeping together again, but that's very bad and complicated. And she decides to kind of get it all out of her system, you know, go clubbing, maybe meet a guy, have fun, feel better about herself. But by the end of the night, she feels totally shit. Thinks my life's hopeless. I'm stuffed, and that's the end of Act Two, which is the crunch point. So you're looking for for the crunch point to be that that end of Act Two moment, and then Act Three is what, um, of course, wraps it all up. Now, if we're thinking about the first episode, it's also going to be the thing that goes that tees up everything to come. And in Alma's Not Normal, she decides to become an escort. And and I'm talking about the pilot here. The the first episode of the series proper, they kind of retold the story in a way. 
Um, quite often the pilot becomes episode one, but in this case they did a new episode one, but covers the same the same beats essentially, but in a slightly different way. But in in both cases, the end of the episode is I'm going to become an escort, teeing up everything that's to come. The end of catastrophe is Rob and Sharon are in bed together after this fling and she's thinking basically I've got this more or less stranger in my bed and we're going to make a life together and she looks at the ceiling and she's like fuck I mean she doesn't say fuck but that's the expression on her face you know and that's sort of teeing up everything that's to to come um so you can read more about those beats on the blog post and in terms of the storylines in catastrophe there's one main story. There's the A story, which is Rob and Sharon getting together. But they put in a B story, which is Sharon uh, getting diagnosed with something they call pre-cancer, which is something that's not yet cancerous but is a concern. Um, and, in fact, it's it's fine in the end. But but that creates a B story and, and adds more, more tension. But that script, there's a lot of focus on, on the A story, in Alma, so the A story is needing work, wanting to be an actress, that not working, deciding to become an escort. That's the A story. B story is her situation with her ex. Uh, the C story is um, stuff that's going on with her mother and uh, grandmother. So that has got Alma's class, absolutely classically shaped. Um, the th- three acts, the three big beats and the three storylines whereas catastrophe is actually three three two and the a story is much more substantial than the b story although the b story is meaty um so you're you're looking to do those things in your script and when you've identified that be hard pressed to well you just what you won't see a show that doesn't do these things you know just whatever you watch and sometimes people go, oh, is it just episode one? But it's a, any episode. You know, to get a story going, something has to happen. So something changes for your characters. They hit a midpoint. The ante is up. Stakes are raised. They hit a crunch point. So it's like a sandwich in that uh, act one is one slice of bread, and then act two is most of it, which is the big filling of the sandwich, and act three is the other slice of bread you know so you could think five pages 20 pages five pages although it's it's not, not quite that neat but it's it's roughly that shape but the other thing on this is people sometimes say that these three acts are actually a disguised four acts because the midpoint you could look at as an end of act two and then the rest of act two you could call act three and then um at three you could then call act four and certainly when you get to writing what they call the commercial hour of TV, then you are looking at four acts. But actually, it's the same thing. But you suddenly you're now calling it four acts in, instead of three. Um, so I've said a bunch of stuff there. I hope that's all clear. Yeah, that makes loads and also of sense. I, I, yeah. I'm aware that this this is technically a conversation. And Kate, <laughs> not got a word in. But, but could I just tell people that I'm not like this in, in real life? If you... If you meet me, yeah. uh, I, I will ask you questions, and you will be able to say things. <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah. This is I, I'm on kind of tra- transmit. I can vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> 
So do, do, do you have any questions, Danielle? I do. I yeah. do. I do have some questions. <laughs> but thank you. But it's helpful to, to lay all that out. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah. one of the questions I wanted to ask is, how do you think um, thinking about this structure helps ensure that the protagonist remains really active? Because I think that's one of the things that I think yeah. the structure is really useful for. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, you're thinking what's going to change that's really going to challenge yeah. my protagonist that's going to really shake things up and change things for them and you know depending on where you're pitching your narrative if you're in the comedy drama space and you're looking for something really quite dramatic then this is going to be a big thing mm. but if you're maybe you're doing something more naturalistic or you know kitchen sink drama style um th then it then it will be something something a bit smaller like you know the cat's gone missing or you know but but either way it's still that turning point and it makes your character act they need to they've got a problem now that they need to address they need to take decisions they need to do stuff and so they they're now doing that this is not what they expected to be doing today but now they're doing this and when you get to the the midpoint you're twisting the knife you know you're making the challenge bigger for them and so if it's comedy drama you know i don't know the turning point is the characters found a long lost daughter they didn't even know they had you know it's really massive or or it's something smaller like the cat's gone missing um you know say say the turning point is well, it's interesting, actually, because sometimes the turning point can be something that the audience knows, but your character doesn't. So in, in this case, it might be the audience discovers that this uh, young woman is an imposter. She's not who she claims to be, but your your protagonist doesn't know that. So that's an interesting turning point. Yeah, it creates dramatic irony. The audience knows something the character doesn't know. So kind of the turning point, it's much more common for something to confront your character directly, but it can be something that the audience discover that they go, oh, this is more complicated than I realized, you know, so that, that could be a midpoint. But like in, in the cat storyline, let's say the midpoint is the cat very sadly has been run over by a car, but don't worry, it is still alive. There's hope, but you know, there, there's, there's, there's the, the midpoint. And the crunch point with the cat, you know, she's got to decide whether to put it down or not. The um, crunch point with the daughter is, you know, the, the woman suddenly starts to suspect something might be up. And she's deciding whether to kind of push this or challenge this person. But this sudden daughter's filling a hole in her life and she decides to, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to think about it, you know. And so that, so there's a couple of examples of, you know, different levels of drama, but that are both kind of significant for those characters. But those would also be, you know, the A stories, like the B story in the cat episode could be, you know, we're thinking more everyday stuff. Um, the cat owner has had problems with her TV reception and the guy who's going to fix the TV aerial is coming around. And, oh, but it's really complicated because the cat's gone missing, but I really want it sorted out, you know. And the the thing with the um, the daughter appearing, 
maybe our, our woman in that story, she's under a lot of pressure at work and there's going to be, um, you know, downsizing and a load of people are going to lose their jobs. And because she's under a lot of new stimulation pressure with this girl suddenly appearing, it's sliding at work. And it could be that at the crunch point, she gets made redundant, as, you know, so the, so the, the B story collides there. But when you've got really serious things going on, the um, quite often the C story is um, a more a lighter story. It's not, not not always the case, but quite often it's a lighter story. Um, so in the in the C story, um, I don't know. She's wanted to get get a tattoo, and she's trying to decide what it is, and it's um, it, it's a bit a, a bit kind of lighter, and it's sort of kind of put, played in a more sort of playful way but but kind of I, I think I mean obviously I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head but you know it it's sort of so much easier when you've got that you've got that rhythm and you've got that structure because you you know what you need to do and you know what this story needs to do and and you can you can hit those beats and know that you've got a well-shaped story and not only that it's a story that anyone reading your script will either know about this and of course if they're in the industry they're going to know but even if they don't know kind of intuitively it will feel right and if it gets you know if it gets made intuitively to the viewer it's going to feel right because this is what they've seen a thousand times but they've just not not thought about it yeah i love that and i want to ask if there's any writers who are listening or watching who are like oh, but i've already spent ages working on this script and i didn't know about this structure and maybe i'm doing some things right but something's not um what would you say to them because i know that you're really good at helping writers who bring scripts in all kinds of states for all kinds of reasons yeah well the first thing i'd say is it's really i would say when you're starting on a project um, it's a really good idea to take a step back and not worry about this, actually. So if you've written a bunch of stuff without thinking about this, that is no bad thing. Um, and to give you an example, I did a Zoom session with a writer uh, this morning, and she's working up a new idea. And in fact, she's done some training with me before on a Zoom course and is sort of well aware of all of this and kind of came in with the thought that we would talk about this stuff and we sort of touched on it and I said but let's not let's not worry about it too much for now you know you've got this really interesting relationship between this couple it's a good dynamic but just write some scenes write me five scenes with this couple and and in fact don't make them like particularly significant or dramatic scenes let's just see them rubbing along together in life and in different situations and try and understand who they are and what's funny about them and so, you know, if you've written a bunch of stuff and you haven't thought about this, well, well, great, you know, because you've got the raw materials and you've learned more about your characters and your world. And I would say a next thing actually is to disassemble your script and look at it as a bunch of scenes. And then if you if you kind of give each scene a title and write that title on a post-it note and then stick it on the wall and, you know, maybe if your landlord wouldn't mind or if you own your house, if your partner or whoever wouldn't mind, you could draw a line on the wall. You know, this is end of act one. This is the turning point. This is midpoint. This is crunch point at the end of act two or somehow de demarcate it and go, what are these scenes that I've got? What if I were to 
reorganize them in this shape what what scenes don't i need what scenes do i need you know and you can you can start to reconstruct it on on that basis yeah i love that and i i used to be really resistant to writing scenes that i didn't think i was going to use i think it's like that scarcity of time when you think i've only got this amount of time i have to make it really count um, but it like so worked against me and actually in the episode with Sharice Griffith, she was incredibly encouraging um, about uh, and described really well a lot of the scenes that she writes just to get to know her characters. Uh, so shout out yeah. to Sharice for the prompt to do that. I think it's, I totally agree with you now. And now it's, it's great because you can really play and have fun and find unexpected things and still then bring it back to the kind of structure, like you say. Um, and I, exactly. I do... Um, so I, I could I could draw a black line on the wall. I tend to use Scrivener now for uh, organizing yeah. things. I know not everyone likes that, yeah. but at least now I can divide it into uh, my acts and you could demarcate it and move your little things around the cookboard. But sometimes it is yeah, nice to see so it all on the wall, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so I, I wanted to uh, ask a, a couple of other questions and also then it'd be great to know if there's more, more things you'd like to uh, put in before we wrap up. And one of them is, like from because you're so helpful with doing these frameworks is there any particular um like flavor of advice that you just find that writers really struggle to take on board and you just kind of sit there seeing over it again from the outside because I think there are some things like for example for me definitely it was being prepared to write things that I wasn't going to use was something that I just struggled with for a while are there any things that you that you think either particularly helpful to get people out of different ruts or that you just kind of patiently wait for writers to realize that when they do listen it's going to be so much easier for them well what what one thing i'd say is to be aware that there's two different kinds of writing yeah and the don't try and do them both at once oh 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 you're hitting me right in there because it took me so long to learn that don't say more please (laughs) save people some pain so the the two different kinds of writing one is the play yeah when you're having having fun and exploring and the other kind of writing is actually the hard work where you're putting structure and shape and form to it and if you if you only do if you only do the play side of things then it's a formless mess but fun but also if you only do the structure side of things you can still write something but it can end up a bit feeling dry and mathematical so you you want to do both and you can't do them both at once so so deciding what am i doing well right now i'm doing this i'm just i'm playing and i'm going to create a load of scenes and a bunch of stuff and put them away and okay now i'm in phase two i'm going to put some structure and some shape onto it and being aware of those two phases and moving between them is 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 really helpful and actually, the other thing I want to say while I think of it is that the audience and the reader of the script actually shouldn't really notice the structure. Mm. So someone reading it analytically and thinking, How, is this a well-structured script? They're going to be looking for it and they'll notice it. But but ideally, even someone like me who's thinking about this stuff all the time will just go, wow, these characters are great mm. and I'm loving this story and I want to turn the page and it's making me laugh. And so you it it's it's there, but it's the support that you're you've forgotten about because you've got characters and a and a world and a story and that that's what we're now interested in. Yeah, I love that. 
beautifully uh, expressed and honestly like when you when you say it so beautifully simply like that I cannot believe it took me so long to figure out like really separating those modes out and I think I spent quite a long time like veering back and forth between trying to get really 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 organized and outline everything and be hyper structured and then like trying to veer the other way and then ending up with a mess to trying to actually find a process that works for me and being clear about what I'm doing I feel like it took me a ridiculously long time to figure out and I'm sure I'll still forget and have to remind myself many times uh, it's great having yeah. this podcast I can re-listen to my own podcast in the gym and hear Chris yes. reminding me <laughs> what to do fantastic yeah. <laughs> so that's great yeah. excellent all right well so what i want to wrap up yeah with tell me is is you and i brainstorming a show idea love but, it but go on if, if you've if you've got another question no it's fine I, lo- I want to do your idea so let's uh let's do that i've always got 50 more questions so let's do it sounds fun okay so um what i want to do uh at this point as we're coming to the finish danielle is to think about um a show and imagine that we're writing um a script right now one one thing i want to just say as a side note is um so in this world of you know writing tv half hours Mm. trying to get the attention of a producer with your work um a piece of advice people often give is don't send episode one you know send episode four or or whatever they say and or that's all right that you know that's not bad advice but because it, well, the reason why they say that is they go, oh, there's no other episode like episode one. Episode one, setting everything up, it's like an outlier. And then so send one that's more typical. And I think that sends you down the wrong path and gets you thinking about it in an unhelpful way in that, yeah, episode one is going to be, of course, walking the audience into a world and into characters However, what it should be doing is showing off the characters that we're going to love, mm. the kinds of situations they're going to be in, the kinds of conflict that they experience, the kind of funny stuff that we're going to enjoy, mm. whatever episode, you know, that should all be there in episode one. So episode one should be as good an example of what this thing is as as any other and I was t- talking to um, Lucy Lumsden recently, who, mm. who I work with in various ways. And yeah, you, you've she's spoken been on the to show. On, yeah, on listen to Lucy's episode. She's said so many wise things. Amazing. She's really great. Um, and so she's a TV producer now, having been a commissioner in the past. And I, I spoke to her about this, and she said, send in episode one. I want to see episode one. You mm. know, I'm like a viewer who's being introduced to this world, and I want to come into it at that point. I don't want to feel like I'm joining halfway through a series so um so there you go so i would say maybe don't get so hung up on that or more importantly episode one should be a showcase for everything that's great about this series and don't think of it as an outlier right so there's there's that um that's good so so we're working on episode one of this show so i i did have a think when i thought oh we could do this i had to think what it could be so so what i thought is um so you're doing these uh, podcasts and it's a comedy masterclass and I thought okay well let, let's let's make up a show where someone's recording podcasts you know a Great. woman like yourself but just to fictionalize it a bit I thought it could be a money masterclass so it's oh, kind of about you know yeah. in, in, in in investing and uh etc um, I'm not the most kind of money crypto that was was the end of my money knowledge so maybe i need to do some research before we write this but (laughs) okay but um yeah 
but so, so that's what we're gonna what we're gonna do now this is another topic that i'm going to broach right at the finish here um and i could say a lot more on this but i'm going to be fairly focused for this the central character basically you a fictionalized version of mm. you they're the protagonist but I, I i like to call the protagonist the striver that's my own word for that character because it just reminds you what they should be doing you know they're constantly striving to better themselves or to get out of their situation improve their life or you know win that job or that person or, or whatever become a millionaire become famous whatever it is they're striving away um then above them you need a boss mm. so i'm not using that word to be synonymous with manager although there could be a manager i just mean the person with some with authority who's got power in the situation so so we've got the version of you who i'm going to call danny um who's doing her uh, money podcast, bringing in people from the world of finance. And in fact, unlike what we're doing, they're coming round to her house. You know, so we've got some in-person stuff, more interesting to look at uh, on TV. So quite often I would say a boss character is going to be her guest because, you know, they're, they're an authority in the world of money. So relating to to Danny, who wants to learn more about savings and investments and markets and things, they're, they're a boss. So her guests are often going to be a boss to her. And she also, she really needs them, otherwise she's got no podcast. So there's a real possibility there for um, for them to kind of mess her around or give her the runaround or be arrogant and mm. inflated or, or be, you know, uh, not as knowledgeable as, as they they made out but putting on this authority but so there's a lot of fun to be had there with those characters but we also need someone who's like just a because i think in this show probably each episode there'll be a different guest so it'll be mm, a, a bit like, like a faulty towers setup where you've got you know someone new each week but we need someone in danny's world who is who's the boss you know the person with power over her who's just in her world all the time. So, Danielle, who could that be? Mm. Yeah, who's, mm, oh, oh, who do I want to have power of me? So it could be, so if we're going for, um, the like, a, if it's a rented space, it could be the landlord or landlady of the space who uh, Great. Uh, has, who interrupts or uh, is is nosy or wants to know what the comings and goings of uh, all these uh, people are perfect yeah perfect and um, a couple of times in my life I mean when I was much younger I sort of rented a room in a well once in a house and once in a flat but, but where the landlord lived there I, I guess you'll kind of a lodger really in, mm. in that setup yeah that's always really tricky so let's have the um, the landlady there the owner of the house and I did once, um, this was so long ago, but I, I rented a room in a flat in Fulham and the woman who owned the flat was very, very elderly, very cantankerous and just seemed absolutely furious that I was there despite the fact that she'd advertised the room <laughs> okay, and I, yeah, I was paying I've, her money. I've met so, some of them. <laughs> so, so, so let's base our, our landlady character on, on her. So this cantankerous old, old, older woman the thing I always remember is sitting in my room and hear her going, Mr. Head, 
Mr. Head, <laughs> up the stairs. And I'd open the door and go, yes, and look down the stairs. and just go, there's crumbs in the kitchen or, you know, whatever it was that, that I'd done. Yeah. And I moved out of there fairly quick. Um, but so Danny is in this house and let's say she has invested some money in setting up a bit of a studio. So she's done some soundproofing and she's got her equipment in. So she's more stuck. So the thing that I was going to, th- I was starting to think is what, why does she stay? So, I, well, and the rent's really cheap. That was the other thing about the flat in Fulham. I think she would, wasn't totally up to speed with current, you know, rental rates in that part of London. And it was yeah. cheap. So, but it wasn't enough to offset the pain of being there. Um, so yeah, we've got those things. It's really cheap. And I guess Danny is, in, you know, trying to invest money. I guess she's losing a lot of money with her, her investments. So that's a nice kind of background yeah. sort of stress. Like it. So what you have is you've got your, um, your striver in the middle, your protagonist, and you've got the boss, figured out who that is. Also the guests of bosses. Now what we need is a fool who is mm. the, the character who's kind of a bit of an idiot or socially awkward or just stupid and who's creating problems for, for Danny. And so who could that be? I'm wondering if there's maybe like, um, uh, even if it's like lo-fi, like this one, a sort of show and um, producer editor, because it's not as easy as it looks. Riverside says you just press the button, but actually there's a bunch <laughs> of stuff that happens. I've learned the hard way afterwards. So I wonder, but maybe because yeah. she doesn't have money, it's not someone she can really pay. So it's a kind of friend who's a bit more techie than her, but also has lots of uh, incompetencies. Perfect. Yeah. So the full character is very often just stupid. So a classic example would be Baldrick, you know, or Manuel. But sometimes the fool actually is intelligent, but it's their kind of social awkwardness or their kind of naivety, their gaucheness that makes them a fool. Like Niles in Frasier, he's actually the fool uh, of the piece. The father is the the boss. Obviously, Frasier is the, the striver. Yeah, great. So she's got this kind of techie nerd who helps her out, but is... You know, she's not paying and is sort of socially awkward and unpredictable and unreliable. Yeah, so that's the fool that she's got to deal with. And every now and then, one of the guests might be a fool. You know, mm. they seem to have the credentials, but actually, they're a fool. So, in this boss driver fool setup, <clears throat> it's also really helpful to have a foil who's the normal kind of grounded character. So, this is like Tim from The Office or Polly in Faulty Towers, who's like the the more reasonable person that the audience can actually identify with and who really sees how mad this setup is. So who could this foil character be in, in Danny's life? I'm wondering about like a, a boyfriend character who, when they come into the world and sees that, because like, for example, I used to run a theatre company and sometimes my house like I would realize when someone came around who wasn't involved in it, how mad it must look because the living room would be overtaken with pieces of set and I would be doing all these things that I'd agreed to do at like almost no notice. And uh, so I'm wondering someone who comes into that world from the outside, like a, right. like a boyfriend or a best friend yeah. who and has it, yeah, has a job, has things boy- figured out. Yeah, exactly. Spot on exactly what I was going to say. Because you, um, you want opposites. So, yeah, Danny's losing money on her investments, has got this big idea. Any day now, you know, I'm going to make 100K and everything's going to turn around. And I'm doing these podcasts, so I'm learning stuff. But, you know, it's 
raising my profile. Maybe someone will give me a job. You know, there'll be so she's got all of these hopes, but actually she's really struggling for money and is living in this crazy place. And you've got the boyfriend who is the, um, the sort of grounded one who has got his stuff together. And I think he's constantly on it, Danny, why don't you move in with me? I've got this flat, mm. you know, we've been together for, you know, two years now. It's time, you know, come on, just get out of this place. We can set up your studio. But of course she's, you know, in my flat, but, she's reluctant you know she likes her independence mm. she's not totally sure about this this guy and so so we've got our our worlds set up here and so now what we need is the um i'm wondering if this should be two episodes but what what we need uh, maybe. is the um <laughs> yeah, it's the um so the a story of this episode so we need a turning point so Danny is in this whole kind of situation and she's got a guest coming along, let's say to raise the stakes that she's got a former governor of the Bank of England who, like oh. her, I don't know, her mother goes to the gym with and she's been right. been on at him for, you know, like 18 months and he's finally, finally showed up. So, well, I mean, maybe that's the turning point. You know, the the mother phones up and says, I've got, you know, Mark Carney, <laughs> that he's going to do it, you know. So, so that that well, there we go. That could be our turning point for the episode. So she's kind of, right. kind of, you know, bobbling along. The landlady's on her case, you know. Maybe this guest she did have lined up it seemed a bit flaky anyway. You know, they're nowhere to be seen. Suddenly, I've got Mark Carney. Oh shit! Wow. So here's a big turning point. Mm. So obviously now get a new outfit, tidy the place up, maybe redecorate, yes. you know, yes. <laughs> really revise, be, 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 be on top of, you know, the, yeah. the topic. Get a suit jacket. Get snacks yeah. in. Yeah, get everything ready. So Mark Carney shows up. Well, so what, what could be a midpoint in terms of something going wrong or raising the stakes? Yeah. So... Hmm. I'm trying to think whether it needs to be something for her or whether it's one of the linked to one of the other characters that we have. So who have we got? We've got the landlady, mm. we've got the boyfriend, and we've got the tech person. So mm, everything that I'm thinking of is a little bit little for midpoint. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think I'm something with the landlady. Really... Go for it. Yeah. So I mean, this is quite sitcommy, but <clears throat> but what I'm thinking, which is fine, if you're doing something very big and broad and silly, go sitcommy. Yeah. But of course, if you're in the comedy drama space, it, it would be a bit different. A really broad comedy thing is the um, the fool, you know, was out on a bender the night before, and she's trying to get a hold of him. He's got, he's got a tech this recording with Mark Carney, struggling to get him to come in. Finally, does come in but he just sort of pukes everywhere or can't do it. You know, oh my God, I've got vomit to clear up. Mm. Staggers out of the place. And then, I mean, that, that could be a midpoint, but I'm thinking she, in kind of sitcom land, she recruits the landlady to do the, do the tech. Oh, with, with okay. Yeah. Cause I, I was like going down yeah. things like power cut, but then I was like, but then it really nixes it and makes it. Yeah. So oh, that uses the characters. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, That's good. so that that could be a midpoint. It's like, oh shit, I've got to. Um, my landlady's going to do it. So probably has she hasn't shown up yet. So, so she's got to brief the landlady, and and I think my feeling is she's quite excited about it. 
Yeah, I was going to say, what if she likes it a bit too much? I could see it. Yeah. 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 Because you might go, oh, she's very cantankerous and she's going to be pissed off about doing mm. it. But actually, I think it's more fun if she's going with it and is a bit excitable and we see a different side to her. And in fact, you know, Danny's having trouble putting her back in her box. She, then, she might be know, interested Mark, in the money. We might have found one of her like key motivations, yeah. the landlady. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Maybe she fancies Mark Carney as well. So, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. 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 He, 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 he turns up. And I think there's a lot of fun actually in trying to train her and keep you know, put her back in her box. But I, so then I think actually the crunch point is Mark Carney turns up. So this is the end of Act Two. You know, we've probably got about five, six pages left. Um, and he turns up, and it's a total fiasco, of course, because the um, landlady's all over him, you know, unwelcome hospitality, <laughs> messing yeah. things up. Technically, you know, Danny's absolutely tearing her hair out, and Mark Carney goes, I was willing to do this as a favour for your mother, but, you know. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this, you know. It's like, oh, no, please, no, you know. So it's nice. You're kind of going, oh, poor Danny. You know, we're kind of, we're starting to, you know, be, be invested so this is her crunch point he he storms out and so now we're into act three and it's it's going to be the next day i'd say um as we go into act three so obviously there's time passing between act two and three i'm going to say obviously but i mean it's not act three is never going to be just immediate there's always like at least an hour or something but kind of more commonly it's mm. later that day or that night but the next day is super common, or you know, a couple of days later. But when it, we're now the, the next the next day, and maybe the boyfriend's there, kind of consoling her. And well, can, can we give her a happy ending? What, what's the what's the happy ending at, at the end of the episode, Danielle? I I I like happy endings. So yeah, because I, yeah. I I don't want the the boyfriend and the giving it up path to win. So um, I'm trying to think who she could get. A call from is that a bit cheesy maybe or maybe you know in terms of this story maybe mark carney comes back or it's well basically your character's going to win or, or, or they're going to maybe i'm lose. wondering because yeah, also this might be the the feminist in me coming out but i'm wondering if there's someone that's even better than mark carney nice. or if that's not the, like the thing it. of the crunch point if um, but if maybe there's someone that, um, because again, like she thought she wanted the suit, uh, and him, but maybe there's yeah. a better option. Maybe there's a female guest. Yeah. Great. Okay. So let's say it's Rachel Reeves, you know, shadow chancellor that she, she lands and yeah. Who just happens to know the mad landlady from days of old and the landlady, you know, is, is, yeah got flowers is apologizing and has turned it around and here's Rachel Reeves and oh my god that's that, that's a nice nice happy ending um so there you go you know we've we've made something up that that feels okay in fact it feels quite fun you know in <laughs> yeah. yeah in in not not much time but you know what what facilitated that was having that that structure and once you've got the characters in the story you can sort of forget about it cuz you know, that's the raft that took you to the other shore. You don't need to carry the raft around with you. You just get get on with, you know, the, the characters and the, the story that you've now got. 
But one thing I will say is that's the A story. So now I'm not going to do this any depth, yeah. but we've got to yeah, we would now yeah. be thinking about no, the B story. And and the B story can also hit those beats, although there's it's, you're a little bit more relaxed with the B and C. But you could mirror those beats in in the B story. So, you know, the B story probably something about the boyfriend and he's he's trying to book a holiday. You know, she needs some time away from this, you know, this studio and he's trying to get this holiday sorted. That could be the B story. And you know, C story, the landlady's trying milk deliveries and some you know, something happens right. with that. Um yeah. <clears throat> you know, and you so you you've you're starting to get it. And so this is what I mean, like um when you know what it is you've got to do, when you know what the shape is, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes people go, Oh God, it's so formulaic, or I don't want to tick those boxes. But it's it's your it's your friend. And yeah. you know, so you go, I'm gonna write a pop song, well I need a chorus. What's that gonna be? Oh now now I need some verses and you know, you 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 know what you've got to do. Yeah. No, totally. I love it. And also that when you have that structure as well, then it doesn't mean then like you don't feel closed off but you can look at a piece like my first instinct is to say happy ending but then immediately the contrarian wants to be like oh but what if we look at the other end but now I'm only looking at one piece as opposed to the whole thing to test it and also um, Mm. lovely if like working with writing partners or groups or getting feedback to have the structure to be able to talk around because I've been involved in a few different collaborative processes and when you have just got that blank page can be so hard and particularly if it's like in we're over here doing characters and setting and there's actually to be able to like we've just done just now kick it around and go back and then like go back to oh but what if this was the turning point instead or what if this or if we did this b point like it gives you those some stable ground uh, to be able to play on instead of trying to play in a swamp so i love it very good very well put exactly yeah, so thanks so much for your time today, Chris. You are such a comedy genius brain. I love it. Um, thank you. And where should people go to find out more about you and your work? Well, uh, chrishead.com is the simplest place. And um, I've written a couple of books, one on stand-up, um, the one that's well, it has got some stand-up stuff in it, but but is about half-hour comedy scripts and other kinds of comedy is um creating comedy narratives for stage and screen my second book particularly ties in with with this stuff but yeah i mentor writers all the time and i'm running courses um most of which are actually now on now on zoom which is really great because i have people from here there and everywhere um joining them yeah so i think visiting my website is a good is a good first port of call yeah, totally. And this is, I've taken one of Chris's brilliant courses and had help in a one-to-one session and it's just so useful. And Chris asked brilliant questions. So he's brilliant at giving this framework and also asking really insightful questions that will melt your brain and turn it around in new ways in the best possible sense. So thanks so much, Chris. It's been so fun chatting with you today. Great. Thank you. I've, I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Danielle. <laughs>